the God of the universe is speaking, speaking to us through the Word of God, and we need to listen. We are convinced that for us to become mature believers in Christ, we need to be able to study the Bible individually. Can't just be doing it when we come to church, but we've got to be studying the Bible in our homes and really studying it, really reading it. We're not, I'm not talking about a surface skim, and I, I think it's good just to read the Bible and just just put it down and then go and do something else. That's, it's never a bad thing, right? Never a bad thing to read the Bible. But we have got to take steps to go beyond that, to actually study the Bible, let it become part of who we are, and really dig into the truth and the wonders and the treasures that's in God's Word. Do you agree with me? Amen. Well, as we are, are focusing on that, that's, that's what these six weeks are about right now, um, more than just a book. Last week, um, Ryan Mobley started us off, and it was, it was a good kickoff to this series. And Ryan is back tonight, so let's welcome Ryan. Thanks, Chief. Well, good evening, church. You know, I was convinced uh, when I looked outside, I'm like, Pastor is going to hijack this message and preach on the end times again because we got another apocalyptic storm going on out there. So I am glad to be here. So, hey, um, let's just do a quick review of where we were last week, okay? Last week we kicked this series off, and we were really talking about why we should study the Bible. That was the, that was the big idea. We talked about our motivation for doing so. We talked about our attitude, approaching Scripture, having a very humble attitude and being under God's Word as opposed to over God's Word. We want to come to Scripture um, really submitting ourselves to God's agenda and not our agenda, okay? And we really talked about that none of us can be a disciple of Jesus without being in this book, without reading it, without studying it, without applying it. Because Jesus said in the Great Commission, he said, you know, go and baptize and make disciples, teaching them all that I taught you. Okay, teaching them to obey. Uh, so that was really what last week was about. We ended last week, I gave you uh, some, some tools uh, to help your reading. I hope that was really beneficial to you. Remember those four questions uh, that we talked about last week? Uh, the first question was when you come to a, to a passage of Scripture um, that you're reading, that you're studying, you ask, what does this passage say about God? Because it's, reve it's revealing something to us about him. Then you ask yourself, what does this passage say about what God has done? What is his work that he's doing? Then you ask yourself, what does this passage say about who I am in light of God's work? You see, we come into the picture, you know, more towards the end. It's about God first. And then the fourth question is, what should I do now? Okay, we then get to the application um, after we go through those other points. If we jump right to the doings, I like to say, you know, what should I do now? We, we, we put ourselves in danger of living a more legalistic type of, type of life, which is not what God has designed for us. That begins to feel oppressive, okay? Um, but he calls us to live in grace and live in freedom. Uh, his yoke is not heavy, it's light, it's a joy, uh, to obey God's word. So that was really where we were going last week. Um, tonight, we are going to really talk about how to understand the Bible. So we are going to give some big overviews of, of how the Bible's put together, some different ways to read it. Uh, we're going to talk about different types of Bibles as well. Um, and really, in a lot of ways, tonight is a sort of preview about how we're going to unpack the next four weeks as we really go through some Old Testament and New Testament things. So um, these, all these weeks all tie together. If you miss anything, all the audio is on the church website that you can go and listen and catch up as well. Before we dive into this, let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to make sure I'm speaking his words and not mine, all right? And then we all listen to, listen to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for bringing us here safely. And uh, Lord, I, we pray for those who are not able to make it. Lord, we pray for all the kids who are at camp this week and the leaders that are down there with them. Uh, Lord, that they're soaking up your word as well uh, this week. But tonight here, teach us, guide us, Holy Spirit. Uh, give us illumination um, that we may fall more in love with your word, fall more in love with you. 
and live as you have designed us to live for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So here's a question for you. What do the Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and Harry Potter all have in common? Lord of the Rings. What's that? They're all fiction. That's true. That's, that's, that's good. So, so think of this. Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Harry Potter. We have these great narratives, these great stories of our generations, right? Of, of in this past generation. And really, they're happening over multiple books. They're happening over multiple movies. Uh, some of them are continuing because they're making lots of money off of them, Right? But really what they are doing, they are telling one unified story, even though there's multiple books and movies involved in each of these works of fiction. There's many characters, there's many subplots, but really when you look at The Lord of the Rings, The Lord of the Rings is really about a hobbit named Frodo. When you look at Star Wars, it's really about a family called Skywalker. When you look at Harry Potter, it's really about a child who was dubbed the boy who lived. You know, and their stories are getting unpacked over these volumes. You see, the Bible also is telling one story with one central character. The Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And since the Bible is all about Jesus, the Bible is telling one story, something that I like to call, that people call the grand narrative. The grand narrative. So we can start in Genesis 1 and go all the way to Revelation 22, and we see one grand narrative story. Okay? So if you have your Bible... You can go ahead and open up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to be here a long time tonight, okay? I let you out early last week. It's probably not going to happen tonight. Um, so let's talk about this. So just if you have your Bible, open it up or open up your app um, to Genesis 1. We'll get there in a second. I want to read you this quote first. Uh, a man named Bruce Ashford wrote a book, The Theology and Practice of Mission. He says this, In order to build a biblical theological framework for understanding God's mission, the church's mission, and the church's missions to the nations, one must first understand the unified biblical narrative, including its four major plot movements, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That is the four main points of the grand biblical narrative. So let's talk about these briefly. So let's talk about creation, okay? Creation is, is the first plot point. I'm going to try to write slowly so this stays dark and you can read it. Now creation, we find, is happening in Genesis 1 and 2, okay? Genesis 1 and 2, we see God's creation unfolding. And a big theme that's going on in Genesis 1 and 2 is this very common, popular Hebrew word of shalom. How many people have ever heard the word shalom? Okay. Now, shalom is typically translated as peace, right? But here's how we need to understand shalom, because it's a big word with a deep, rich meaning. Shalom does mean peace, but it's not simply peace as in the absence of conflict. No, shalom, when when we hear shalom, the, the idea of the word is about a total wholeness, is really what shalom is getting at, a total wholeness. We see a, a brief picture of this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31 where it says, and God saw everything that he had made. He saw all of his creation. And behold, it was, let's all say it together, very good. Very good. Which is really cool because when you read the creation account, first day, second day, third day, he made this, it was good. He made this, it was good. He made this, it was good. And when he looks at everything, it's very good. 
this wholeness, this shalom. So creation is the first movement of the grand narrative. But it doesn't take too long for the second, pl- the second plot of the narrative to, to happen, and that's the fall. And that's what we find in Genesis chapter 3. Now, a couple things happen uh, during the fall. Okay? Uh, there was a rejection of rule. God's rule was rejected. He said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve both rejected that rule. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, She, talking about Eve, took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So there was a rejection of God's rule. And what that did, that created enemies. Specifically between us and God. We became God's enemies. Paul references that. He writes about that in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, saying, while we were enemies. And he goes on to say, Christ died for us. But the point is made, because we rejected God's rule, we now became God's enemies. And because of that rejection of rule, and now our position as enemies, the result was physical and spiritual death. This is what happened in the fall. Genesis 2, verse 17. You know, this is part of what God God was telling them. Don't eat of that fruit because for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. So, the fall is the second point of the grand narrative. So, this happened in Genesis 1 and 2. This is introduced in Genesis 3. And then when we get to the third major plot point is redemption. Now we have a little bit of overlap here because we continue to live in the results of the fall, don't we? We still experience, we're in a broken world, we still deal with sin. Okay, so there's a little bit of overlap from the fall here, but this third plot point of redemption shows up. Praise God, it shows up. With the redemption... A loving God initiates making things right that we've made wrong. Isn't that great? A loving God has initiated making things right that we've made wrong. We see this right away in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Right? So, um, so Adam and Eve, they ate. They realized their nakedness. They went and hid. Right? And then God's walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And he calls out to them, where are you? And they say, you know, and they they unpack the story. And he starts saying, these are the curses now that are coming on. But when he's talking to the serpent, you know, who was kind of the instigator in this whole thing, he says to to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is our first picture of the work of Christ, and it's our first glimpse of redemption, and it happens right on the heels of it because we have a good and loving God who has a plan. And he says, you know what? Um, You're going to bruise his heel. He's going to hurt for just a little bit, but your head's crushed. That's what's going to happen. So we see in redemption, it began... Redemption really, really began, as we, as we look through the Old Testament, okay, um, redemption began with a system of law. God gave the law to Moses, all the ways that people are to live in a, such a way that honors and worships him. Um, it was continued through the judges. God gave his people judges. This was before the, the age of the kings, which we're going to be getting at in the next couple weeks. So there was, there was the judges, and it was their job to help guide and direct people and as they wandered, kind of calling them back to, to God. Uh, and then the prophets were sent as well. So we see this plan unfolding throughout the Old Testament of God working a plan of redemption through the law, through the judges, through the prophets, and all these culminates in God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. God came uh, to renew all things through Jesus by his death and resurrection. It's all part of the plan. 
And this is what was unfolding, which brings us to the fourth movement, which is new creation. I'm going to use initials here. Redemption or new creation. I like saying new creation because it, it kind of brings it back to the first plot of where God originally intended us to be. And so now, what we look forward to, which actually Pastor just preached on for a few weeks, is the ultimate judgment of sin and evil and the recreation of everything. Okay, that's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're going to get. But you know what? That work has already started now because Jesus... He rose again, and the Bible calls him a type of first fruits of that. So we're seeing Jesus living in that with that new body. You know, and, and we, and he is restoring us. So when we come to faith in Christ, he renews us, right? We're not spiritually dead anymore, we're spiritually alive. So this work is beginning, but it will, it will be ultimately fulfilled in the new heavens and new earth. And what we have is that shalom will be fully restored again. Isn't that beautiful? Revelation 21, verse 1, John wrote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then Revelation 22, verse 2, and this is, I think, is so cool. He's describing, he's describing the, you know, the city of God, and he says, Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. The tree of life shows back up at the very last chapter of the Bible that we got to learn about in the first couple chapters of the Bible. You see, God is, God's unfolding a plan here. So when we read Scripture, one thing you need to keep in mind is this grand narrative of the Bible. And when you read certain parts of Scripture, understanding how that fits into this grand narrative. It will help you understand. And every story in the Bible tells this in a small way. It fits in it, and it tells it in a small way. You know, it's a whole other message of how our lives reflect this grand narrative as well. But that's not what we're talking about tonight. So, um, so really, that's kind of our first, that's the first thing I want to get into your head. When we're talking about how to understand the Bible, understand the Bible is telling one unified story with one hero, one central character, and his name is Jesus. And it's telling this God, it's telling God's grand narrative story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration of how he is working and making all things new and giving glory to himself. Good? All right. Let's go to our next point. Let's, let's start digging into some things here. Now, I want to talk about some ways for us to study the Bible. Okay, let me, let me clear this off. I'm going to give this guy a workout tonight. So there's a few ways we're going to talk about in studying the Bible. The first way we're going to talk about is studying the Bible devotionally. Devotionally. So this is really about opening Scripture and really looking to grow in a relationship with the Lord, okay? Uh, you think of this verse, Psalm 119, verse 103. It's a great picture of, of, the, of the sweetness that you can have of, of coming to the Lord um, devotionally. It says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, keep in mind, David wrote this. The great King David wrote this. Okay? The longest book we have in Scripture, Psalms, the longest chapter we have in Psalms, 119, is all about God's Word, all about the law. Now, think about this. Because I think this is going to help us maybe appreciate Old Testament stuff a little bit. Jesus had not come yet. He did not die and rise again yet. And so what David had was the law. He had the Torah. He had the books of Moses. And some of the history books had, be, had begun to be assembled at this point. And he's writing about how much he loves the law. How much he loves God's word. Think about that for a minute. 
He's talking about Leviticus. <laughs> and he's saying, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And we're like, oh my gosh, I'm on my Bible reading plan. Am I done with this book yet? <laughs> Y'all need to repent a little bit. But really, when we talk about studying the Bible devotionally, it's a, do you come to God's word delighted to read this and delighted to fellowship with God through his word? Uh, every time we, you open this, really seeking the Lord to delight in him, your relationship with him will deepen. As you read devotionally, you will delight and you will deepen. Okay? So that's our first way to study the Bible is devotionally. Another way to study the Bible is prayerfully. And I think this, at some point we kind of weave in and out of these ways, okay? So prayerfully, I want to read to you um, a passage of Scripture. You can follow along on the screen. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirits, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And he's meaning those who are saved. The natural person, the unsaved person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That is a rich chapter, a rich passage in this book. And really what Paul is getting at is this. It is the Holy Spirit who gives illumination to God's Word and understanding to God's Word. That's what he's driving home. It really is about God's Spirit opening up our minds, giving us that revelation, that illumination, that understanding. Okay? What does this mean for us? This means this. Whenever you open this book and you're coming to learn, you're coming to delight, right? You pray. Holy Spirit, teach me. Help me to understand that I may glorify my Lord who saved me. That I may learn and love you more. That I may live for you. You, you come with a humble prayer. Recognize, you know, it's like if you just sit here and try to figure it out, you know, I'm going to read all the cross sections and I'm going to read someone else's commentary. And you know, remember how last week we talked about if you just read the Bible just to learn stuff, what will knowledge do to us? Knowledge will what? Puff us up. Right? People who get puffed up, they're not praying very much before they read Scripture. Not really from a humble heart. If you come with a humble heart, and ask the Spirit to do this, it, you, you're putting yourself under his word, and he will give you teaching, and you will fall more in love with him, and love is your motivation. And your knowledge will be fruitful, not empty. The third way that we come to study the Bible is logically. Logically. Okay, we're going to spend a good bit of time in this part. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, do your best, Paul writing to a young pastor Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling 
the word of truth. So how do we rightly handle the word of truth? That's why we're doing this entire series, right? So here's a, here's a few points to do this. So like I said, we're going to camp out here for a little bit. First is this. Um, you need to understand and look at the context of the passage. The context of the passage. Um, this is really talking about, we're talking about context, we're talking about the overall message of the book, of the chapter, and even the paragraph that you're reading. That's what we're talking about. Let me give you an example. A very famous example. Um, so, you know, our, our, our country loves sports, right? Loves sports. And um, it's not uncommon for us to see athletes write on their shoes, write on their eye black. They'll, they'll write scripture verses, right? And a common scripture verse that we see them write on there is Philippians 4.13. If you know it, say it with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or something like that, however you learned it. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And man, they're like, and we, t- we teach that to kids, and man, you can, you can be a professional NBA player one day. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, and this kid weighs like 25 pounds, and he's four foot tall, and he's already 12 years old. You know, NBA player, really? So this is a very, very common verse that gets beat up. My question to you guys is, if you have ever done something like that with this verse, have you ever backed up and started reading at verse 10? I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is Paul talking to the Philippian church. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That puts that verse in a whole new context, doesn't it? That's what God means it to me. He's talking about not that you're going to be an NFL player one day or president of the United States or whatever. He is talking about trusting God to provide in the face of need and scarcity that God can and God will get me through this time. With his, that's, what, that's what it's talking about. So we have to take into, con- into consideration the context of the passage and the book. So that's one way to read logically. The other way is take into context, uh, take into consideration the culture. The culture. Now, what do we mean by culture? We mean this. We mean, when was this book, b- book written? What time in, of history is going on? What's the situation? Who was the audience? Was this written to a church? Was this written to an individual? Where in the grand narrative is this taking place? What location is this taking place in? And you're saying, I don't know how to do all that stuff. Well, show up the next four weeks and you'll learn. That's what we're doing. Okay, so here's the thing. Listen, the Bible ultimately is written by one spirit, right? God breathed. But the Bible, the spirit inspired 40 authors, right? Over 1,500 years. Over three continents. In three languages. There's a lot of culture to consider. A ton of culture to consider when you read this book. When you read Nehemiah. You need to read that with some different lenses on than when you read Ephesians. Okay? We're going to spend a lot more time on this over the next four weeks as we unpack the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, So let's go on. The next part of reading logically is understanding the genre. The genre. There are many different genres, forms of writing that are used in Scripture. There is historical, where it's very written like a history book. Okay? There's poetry. We read the Psalms in particular. It's poetry, and poetry is scattered all over. It's not just in there, but there's, there's prophetical, you know, where, where the prophets are speaking in a very in particular way. There's apocalyptic writing. 
You know, as we talk about Revelation and Daniel, and you know, there's different imagery that's used there. There's allegorical writing. And we can talk about parables. And I mean, we can talk about all these different genres and types of writing. That impacts how we read and how we're understanding to get at what God was talking about. And again, regarding genre, we're going to talk about these things as well a little bit more in depth over the next four weeks as we unpack the Old Testament and New Testament. The next part of reading logically, so what do we have? We have uh, the context, we have the culture, we have genre. Now we have interpretation versus application. Interpretation versus application. What does that mean? Interpretation is this. What God means it to say. When we read this Bible and we open up to a passage and we read that passage, what did God mean it to say? Because the Holy Spirit inspired that person to write that. So what did God mean when he had that person write that? Remember, it's his word with timeless truth. This is not our word. It's his word. It's his agenda, not our agenda. When we, when we read a verse, and maybe we're sitting around in a small group or Bible study or something, and someone says, well, what I think it means is this. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. That can put you on a road to heresy that you don't want to travel on. It's not about what you think it means. It's about what God thinks it means. That's what interpretation's about. Then, but there is application. An application is how it applies to me now. So God, God wrote it, it means this, and this was the context, this is the culture, this is the genre, so how, how can I extract this timeless principle and apply it to me today in 2017? That's the process you have to go through, and that's what, again, what we're teaching you to do during this series. So application is extracting the timeless principle. So here's an example. Paul did this in Romans uh, chapter 13, verse 10. Chapter 13, verse 10 says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul looked at the entire law that they had in the Old Testament. And he was able to say, when you love your neighbor... You're fulfilling the law. The heart of the law is for you to love God and love your neighbor. Jesus taught that himself. That's what Paul's saying. Now, but we can make that even more personally applicable because God made us all different. He gave us different personalities, different, di different gifts, different skills, and each one of us will manifest that love of our neighbor in a, in a particular way. Okay? So depending on how you're made... You know, you loving your neighbor might be uh, my wife loving, her, loving our neighbor. Okay, I'm going to pick on Dawson. She's here tonight. She said, are you going to talk about me? I'm like, no. Well, I apparently I am. She will sit and talk with our neighbor and talk and talk and love them and get to know them, and they're going to feel valued. Me, what do you need moved? You need something to go from there to there? I got a truck. That's more of me loving my neighbor, okay? Um, depending on how we're put together, we can, we can personally apply things in different ways, but it's still getting at the heart of the timeless truth principle in this example. You guys follow me? Good. All right. Um, our next point, uh, this is our last one in this section, is the plain meaning. When you're reading logically, the, find out the plain meaning. Just reading for face value. Now, here is the struggle with this. Sometimes we read a passage of Scripture, and if we're honest, we don't like what it says. And we don't like what it says about us. And so we're like, oh, that can't mean that. <laughs> Where's another verse? I need another verse. <laughs> you know, and, and we, and we be, what the danger is, though, we, we begin to bend what God's Word is saying to what we think or what we want, or we begin to ignore, you know, um, what God's Word is saying. Let me just say this to you. It's kind of a side note. When you read the Bible and the Bible never disagrees with you, you know, you're either Jesus himself reincarnated, I mean, like re-manifested here, or... 
you're creating a God and a faith in your own image. That is the danger that you face. The Bible has to disagree with us. We are not perfect. We have not arrived. And when the Bible disagrees with us, it shows us, you know, oh gosh, this is how much more I need to grow. Lord, help me. Thank you for being there to help me. Thank you for your word that I know. Right? So, here's two things. In, the, in just understanding the plain meaning, okay? Uh, you want to ask yourself about the, about the passage. You want to say, is this uh, describing something? And I, I'm reading this passage, is this just, just describing something? Uh, is this describing an event that it happened? Let you know, for example, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17 is a great story of the, the, the Hebrews were, were going to war, Moses went up on this little mountain, on this little hill, and, he, and he was, there was this rock there, and he held his hands up, right? And he's praying. And as long as his hands were raised, the Israelites were winning. The Hebrews were winning the battle, but when he got tired and his hands would fall, they would start losing. And so he recruited a couple guys, Joshua being one of them, to help hold his hands up. And then he sat on a rock, right? I mean, it's a very unique story. How many people do you see taking this position in a battle? Not very many. Does that mean we should pray in this position with two people holding our arms up whenever we face a struggle in our life? I don't think so. I don't think so. It's describing something. It's not saying that's how you should pray. It's like, wow, and God did that that time. That's kind of, that, that's what he did. Some passages are prescribing something for us. It's a prescription. Is a passage telling me, telling us to do something? Okay? Um, write this down. It's a First Thessalonians. So I don't think I put this on the notes. First Thessalonians. And where am I? I'm in chapter 5. I think I'm in chapter 5. Yeah, I'm in chapter 5, verses 14 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18, Paul wrote this. He said, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good for the one to, to, to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Was that a descriptive passage or a prescriptive passage? Pre it's telling us to do stuff. There's no arguing with this. Gosh, I don't know if I should do good to that person right now. Because, no, no, you do good to them because that that's what God said. You know? Um, yeah, you should pray. So some passages are very clear. Uh, some passages are very prescriptive, but they still need some some interpretation work going on. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's talking about women covering their heads in worship and in prayer. I don't see any prayer shawls over women's heads out here today. Because, you know what, we can, we can, we can look at that and saying, yes, when we come, all of us, men and women, when we come together in worship and we pray, there is an attitude of respect and humility that we bring to that. Right? But culturally, we can say we don't have to do that, that cultural part. This is where your Bible interpretation comes into play for you to really understand, for you to live rightly from the heart. Okay? So this, this big part is just really, when you talk about plain meaning, you just read it, and what is it saying? What's the plain meaning? Is it describing? Is it prescribing? So when we talk about reading logically, we're talking about context, we're talking about culture, genre, Interpretation versus application, and then, and then just the plain meaning of the text. Good? Great. Let's do our last point. Um, I want to spend some time, because I, I think it's important, we all think it's important here as we put this series together, uh, to talk about Bible translations. Okay? Um, there's all types of different, I, I'm sure we probably have four or five or six maybe even Bible translations in this room right now. 
So let's talk about the types of Bible translations. There are three main types of Bible translations. Um, so you see on the left over here, we're going to unpack these. Uh, word for word, which is literal, thought for thought, which is dynamic, then a paraphrase. And then you see some examples of different um, uh, versions and where they fall in underneath there. So let's talk about each of these for a moment. The first one is literal. Literal. Now, literal, a literal Bible translation is basically doing a word-for-word -word interpretation from, orig from original languages. That's what it's doing. It's very accurate, and it's typically the best Bible to use for studying if you're really digging in, okay? The challenge with word-for-word -word literal translations is that oftentimes they can be, they can be hard to read, they can be hard to read. Um, the sentence structures can be clumsy because the translators are translating as the words are coming out. And sometimes when you put that in English language, if you don't move things around, it can feel very clunky and hard to understand. Okay? Some common examples of literal translations would be the New American Standard Bible, uh, the English Standard Version, or the King James Version. Okay? Those are probably some really popular um, translations. Now, but I would say the preferred or maybe the most common um, Bible translation that is used around here at Calvary is the ESV. It's typically what pastor preaches from on Sundays. Um, that, so that's the, that's the version that we'll see around here most often. It is a fantastic Bible. While it is literal, they have the translators have made it very readable. Okay, So it's a great Bible to use. Um, the second one type of translation would be a dynamic translation. And what dynamic is doing, it is giving more of a thought-for-thought thought interpretation. Okay? Not word-for-word, word, but thought-for-thought. Thought. What is this passage saying? And so we're going to interpret it in light of that. It's overall accurate. And generally, good, it's a good Bible for teaching. And all of these two have different reading levels. The more literal you get, the higher the reading level goes up. Okay? Those kinds of things are, are important as well to keep in mind. The downfall of the dynamic translation of this thought for thought is that it can tend to lose important doctrine that's found in words. That's a downfall of it. It doesn't make it bad, but we just need to understand. Let me give you an example. We're going to look at two words. They're big Bible words. I like big Bible words. I hope you like them too. Um, this first word, and I'm going to even write it big. Whoops, there we go. I can spell, trust me. Propitiation. How many people have ever heard that word propitiation? How many people think, I've never heard that word before. That's a crazy big Bible word. All right, not too many, that's good. The next word is atonement. How many people have heard the word atonement? Okay, great. So, let's look at a couple examples here of these two words in the same verse in two different translations. Romans 3.25, in the ESV, the word for word, says, um, whom God put forward, talking about Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The NIV, which is a thought-for-thought thought translation, says God presented him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. Now that sounds different. Here's what this means. Atonement. Atonement means that sin is paid for and forgiven. And man is reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. A true doctrine Oh, hallelujah, Jesus doctrine, right? Atonement, we love the atonement. Atonement's great. That's what Good Friday is all about, is the atonement. But propitiation is the actual Greek word that Paul wrote. Propitiation means this. Propitiation means that God's wrath towards sin is appeased and satisfied. God's wrath towards sin is appeased and satisfied. That sounds very different from atonement, doesn't it? They're both true, but they're not interchangeable. They're not interchangeable. Propitiation, here's, here's the deal. Listen, do you understand that, do you understand what we're saved from? We are saved from God's wrath. 
That's what we're saved from. And that gets manifested through eternity in hell without faith in him. So propitiation is a really big deal. So when Christ died as a propitiation by his blood, that means God's wrath is satisfied through Jesus. So when our faith is in Jesus, we don't have God's wrath on us anymore. Amen. So the atonement made the propitiation happen. Okay? So they work together, but they're not interchangeable. Examples of dynamic translations, the NRSV, the NIV, the NLT. Those are dynamic translations. Last one is paraphrase. Paraphrase. A paraphrase communicates general ideas in modern language. That's what it does. Um, it's okay, I would say, for a supplemental reading source, to read some devotions out of it, perhaps. But if you're using a paraphrase as your primary scripture, that is really not the best thing for you to do. You are not going to really get what God is saying through a paraphrase. Example, John 1, 14. In the message, paraphrase, says this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's cute. <laughs> That's cute. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? That's, that is a more word-for-word -word translation. Now, you know what? That's great for a bumper sticker. Right? And I actually kind of like that a little bit because we, we feel we were very called to a neighborhood. So, you know. But, you know, it, when you're talking about studying, this is in the direction you want to go and start to study. It's great for supplemental bolsters. So the message and the living Bible are really good, um, good par are their, their paraphrases. So hopefully that gives you a good idea of how Bibles are written. Okay, at the end of the day, listen, um, now I would say the paraphrases are kind of like your supplemental thing. Whether you fall in NIV land or ESV land or NASB land or whatever your Bible translation is, the best one to read is the one you're going to read. Okay. The best one to read is the one you're going to read. Uh, and I'll say this as well. What you need to do is get a good study Bible. If you don't have one, get a good study Bible. This is like the granddaddy of them all. I mean, I can barely carry this thing around. It weighs like 50 pounds. This is all kinds. Of, I mean, it's got maps in it. I mean, who doesn't like maps in their Bible? And it's got, I mean, I love this. You have like a little bit of scripture and all these notes about the scripture and what it means, right? So um, ESV study Bible is fantastic. The NIV makes a great study Bible as well. The point is get a good study Bible. When you're studying, it's going to help you. It's going to cross-reference, help you with some interpretation issues, some context issues. Get a good study Bible. Um, also, there's software. There's websites you can use. Software like Logos is really, really good. Um, a website like the Bible Gateway, you can compare different versions and do all kinds of word studies. Those are great resources. Um, the other thing I'll say, because I know we have parents in the room, is there are some really great kids' Bibles that um, may not necessarily be like laid out like total scripture, but um, this, is, this is my favorite kids' Bible. And now, I mean, it's more of a storybook, okay, so understand that. But this is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And the tagline is, every story whispers his name. As we talk about how Jesus is the hero of every story and everything is about Jesus, that's what this does. It takes big, um, famous uh, Bible passages, and it, may, it, it shows you where Christ is in all of them. It's beautifully illustrated. Um, our kids even listen to audio of this when they go to bed at night. Um, I would recommend this, and I'm sure if you talk to Pastor Tom, uh, they would give you great recommendations as well. So, as we wrap up, what we want to remember is that this book is God's story. Okay? It's a story of who he is and his redemptive work. It's telling a unified story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. It is on us to remember that he is always a central character and that he's the hero. It's on us to rightly handle the word of truth for his glory and for our good. In the next two weeks, we're going to talk about reading and understanding the Old Testament. And the two weeks following that, we're going to talk about 
reading and understanding the New Testament. I have one minute left before I'm going to let you go. And in that one minute, I want to read you the words to this hymn, because I, I love this hymn, by Isaac Watts. And it's entitled, Laden with Guilt and Full of Fear. Sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Feeling guilty over our sin, we're fearful about what's, you know, our lives or people that we love. But this hymn is about, in the face of those things, about the power of God's word. It says, laden with guilt and full of fears, I fly to thee, my Lord. And not a glimpse of hope appears, but in thy written word, the volume of my Father's grace does all my griefs assuage. Here I behold my Savior's face almost in every page. This is the field where hidden lies the pearl of price unknown. That merchant is divinely wise who makes the pearl his own. Here, consecrated water flows to quench my thirst of sin, and here the fair tree of knowledge grows. No danger dwells therein. This is the judge that ends the strife where wit and reason fail. My guide to everlasting life through all this gloomy veil. Oh, may thy counsels, mighty God, my roving feet command, nor I forsake the happy road that leads to thy right hand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for your spirit that gives us illumination and understanding of this word. Help us all to rightly divide this word of truth, Lord, that we're able, it's so great that we can come together and learn how you wrote this book and how we can understand this book, that we may live for your glory and for our good, that you may be magnified in this world. Thank you. Keep us safe as we drive home now. We look forward to coming together again in worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.